Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today we have on Rippy Writes basketball correspondent Bracken Ray. We talked actually a little Quinshawn Judkins at the top because that seemed to be the topic of the day. Plus, Ole Miss's 13-0 start or undefeated start to non-conference play. What to expect on Saturday as they open SEC play at Tennessee. Expectations for this team. What they need to do to get in the NCAA tournament. How a fully healthy roster, and I say health from a NCAA eligibility standpoint, has changed the dynamic and a whole lot more. Buckle up. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry-low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, podcast you get one month of free service when signing up for cspire check them out cspire customer inspired this podcast is also brought to you by skybox sports picks look i tried to tell you guys if you didn't sign up for skybox at the beginning of the college basketball season when they put out their model that is uh on you because the last two weeks skybox clients are up 50 plus units total they're up 22.4 units in the last week in college basketball. They rake it in every year. If you like college basketball and making money, which I don't know why you wouldn't like both of those things, you need to sign up for skyboxsportspicks.com. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Sign up for a picks package that'll fit your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. Hell, at this rate, if you're not signing up for the year-long all-access pass, I don't know what to tell you. You're just neglecting yourselves. Profit. Check them out today. You got NFL playoffs coming up. You got the end of the regular season. You've got college hoops that they absolutely mop up in every single year, just getting into full swing. It is a tremendous time to try Skybox Sports Picks. Don't be the guy paying the man every Monday trying to figure out where the money's coming from. Have him pay you and uh, get a little extra Christmas money in your pocket. Check them out today. They're absolutely crushing it. Again, 22.4 units just last week. How does that sound to you? Sounds pretty awesome to me. Check them out. Skybox Sports Picks. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meets. Right now, if you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks, just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's Bracken. All right, we now welcome on former Andy Kennedy staffer, Rippy Wright's basketball correspondent, Bracken Ray. 
This is a historic day for the Rippy Rights Basketball Podcast because it is January 3rd, January 4th, <laughs> and we are doing a basketball podcast. How does it feel to be in rarefied air? Yeah, it feels um, exciting rather than lethargic, so we'll take that as a win. Yeah, I would say so as well. Ole Miss undefeated through non-conference play. We'll get to that in a second, but, I mean, you're an astute Ole Miss fan. Uh, you went to school here. The news of the day, as we recorded this on a Thursday evening, is Quinchon Judkins entering the transfer portal. You live in Nashville, bunch of Ole Miss dudes that I know as well. There's a lot of public versus private misconception on what this Judkins situation was, and we don't have to go into the details of it, but just from a fan base perspective, what do you gauge as the general surprise of what happened today? Yeah, um, you kind of thought that, you know, if it was going to happen, him hopping the portal would happen, you know, immediately after the bowl game. And, you know, him and him and Dart was such a good one-two punch um, when they were on. And obviously, you know, before this news happened, and I think people will probably be a little bit more emotional about it after, but it's like, hey, where does Q rank in all-time Rebs running backs? And, you know, outside of Deuce, I mean – you know, he, he's up there. I mean, um, and so it's a, it's a really interesting thing. Obviously there's a lot of talk even publicly, um, you know, about what this looked like from a locker room standpoint and working four years in, you know, college basketball, I can say that that's a, that's a real thing. Right. Um, I used to say all the time on here, like, I think that I thought that when he was coaching, Bill Armstrong was a, top 25 assistant in the country and I thought that his best attribute was not recruiting it was not X's and O's it was locker room he did a really good job of keeping locker rooms together and some assistants can and some can't and obviously that's no shot at you know Kevin Smith or whoever um, from a staff standpoint but at some time at some point you put so much effort into it and you know, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. And so, you know, I think for this group, if they can go get a guy, if you say Judkins is an A or an A+, plus, if you can go get a guy that's a B-plus at worst, but's good for your locker room um, and can pass block decently, probably frees up some money as well to go get some linemen. I mean, it could be a net, you know, a net neutral to almost a net positive uh, for the out- the outlook of this season. This is a net positive for Ole Miss. There's no really, I mean, say no other way to spin it. From an outsider's perspective, it's like, oh, Ole Miss just lost their All-American running back. But it's like, well, they paid him a ton of money, and he was probably overvalued the first time. In 2022 and 2023, that offseason, they really couldn't avoid – they couldn't avoid – they couldn't risk the optics of losing their best player with the way that season ended. And then with everything that came with, I would say, the Quinchon Judkins package – it was just not palatable this time around. And again, I danced around the details of it to some degree, but I mean, you've been in a locker room. You actually have a better sense of this because a college basketball locker room, in my opinion, can get more fractured very quickly. There is real value to everyone rowing in the same direction and not having cancers in there. And with Ole Miss doing this portal thing and having new guys come in, particularly this year, higher end new guys. This staff has placed a gigantic emphasis on culture and chemistry, and rightfully so. But I mean, you've been in one of those before. If you have a bad actor, you have to either get that settled or get them out of there, or it will catapult your season, or excuse me, tank your season, no matter how talented the kid is in a general sense. 
No doubt, no doubt. And if you look at it, I mean, I think that one of the smart things Lane did is the Chris Marshall and Trigg getting them out early. But you've got a guy who, you know, rushed for whatever, 1,200 or 1,400 and then 1,200 rushing yards. And you're always going to let the leash be a little bit longer there. The one thing I will say that I, I give to Lane here, and I don't know things privately about this, but publicly it sounds like it's a, a mutual thing, right? The one thing I'll give Lane for this is Hugh Freeze would never. Yes. Hugh Freeze would have never done this. Hugh Freeze had his six to eight guys, and they were five stars. They were all conference. But, I mean, the, you know, if you had told me that there were guys that were walk-ons, you know, on the football team for Ole Miss that, you know, Freeze didn't know the name of, it wouldn't surprise me because he was so fixated on his his favorite guys. And I think talking about players causing locker room issues, I think in some ways, Hugh during his time, you know, from what I heard while I was in college, created locker room issues for kind of playing favorites, so to speak. Lane takes more of a business approach of like, you know, if you're good, you're good. You know, if you're talented, you're talented. Um, but at some point, you know, if, like I said, if the juice isn't worth the squeeze, we can move on. Are we going to get the exact per person as you know, but we can get somebody maybe a hair down and replenish in some good ways in some other areas as well to where our offense can, like you say, even out or net positive as well. So that's the one thing that I think is really interesting because um, you're now, you know, four years in the lane and Fr freeze was here, what, five years in total. Um, you you kind of can start doing the comparison and, the only thing that Lane's really missed is like, hey, beating a Bama or beating a, a Georgia type team. But that's the one thing just from a professionalism standpoint that um, there are some coaches and obviously not just you, but there are coaches out there in football, basketball, college baseball as well that probably treat things a little bit differently from that standpoint. Amen to that. What if I told you the current version of Hugh Freeze might overpay for this guy um, and that he ends up in an Auburn jersey next year and then that becomes his problem. Um, so I wonder what Tiva's core values are. Anyway, moving on. The last, <laughs> right for, the last thing I'll ask you before we get to basketball is, and on a serious note, Andy Kennedy was a guy that was known as kind of a player's coach, I would say to some degree. But I don't think the side that that people saw of Andy while he was at Ole Miss that you saw was how hard he was on dudes and the fact that he valued yeah. the very same things we're talking about, even if he didn't really carry himself like publicly, demeanor-wise that way and wouldn't just like do the Kermit Davis, so I'm just going to shit on Dominique Olenichek for five minutes in a post game because he didn't do what I wanted him to do in a last-minute draw-up. And he dealt with a lot, whether it was when you got there, before you got there, that 2013 team, you could probably write a book about that in its own sense, 2012, 2013, I'm referring to. What was Andy Kennedy's approach toward team chemistry and culture? Because he had brought in a lot of foreign guys. It was a new team every year. He was trying to get around the margins because he couldn't get funding to go get, you know, the Johnny O'Briens of the world, among others. What was kind of his attitude towards this? I know it's not a comparable yeah. situation, but I'm just curious his general disposition on locker room chemistry. Well, the thing is, to your point, he you know he was pretty hard and pretty intense, um, and not a lot of people see that. The you know the one thing that I've always told people, and I think I've told him this before, is um, 
the one criticism I give him, which is kind of a positive in this light, is in the four years I worked for him, he did not receive a technical foul at all, which meant on 100% of the time if he was yelling just about, he was to a player. But the reason that he was able to ride guys hard who did not always come from clean backgrounds, they he had guys that obviously had issues in the past. I'm by no means going to sit here and say that we always had a great locker room and um, our very last year, I think the locker room is what kind of ended things because we had five really good guards, if you think about it. But the reason he was able to ride guys hard is, A, he was always super transparent with them, and B, and this is where the players coach piece comes from, he was able to relate with them um, a lot more um, than, than most coaches. And so, you know, he, he'd let the string be out a little bit and, you know, have a rope. But I think he also did a really good job of delegating some things to his assistants and, you know, brought in assistants and support staff as well that, um, you know, knew how to deal with multiple personalities and try to keep them on track. So you could, so you could get through the season and, and be competitive in the SEC play. You've been in locker rooms like that. Obviously I'm not asking you to, give me an example or call it any sort of guy but like if someone asked you like what is the difference between a bad locker room and a good locker room on a daily basis is it just the awkward nature of being in there what makes like if you could sense the difference if you stuck a stranger in a bad locker room in a good locker room what do you figure they would pick up on oh uh, yeah it's a good question i mean um i think the football comparison to it is like if you have a bad locker room, it's like that lineman that kind of every now and then will half-ass for his running back, right? Yeah. Because him and the running back are not – and that's probably way too relevant of a comparison to <laughs> to today. Almost too on the nose. Yeah, almost a little too on the nose. But, um, I mean, honestly, you know, bad locker rooms, if you are somebody that sits – you know, within five rows of the bench, you can kind of pick up on things. When you're watching things on TV, it has to be super oblivious. Um, and so it, it's one of the reasons why, and I guess this is kind of our transition to basketball here. It's like Beard has kind of raised his hand on his press conference and said, hey, I've seen all the people in the media out there that make fun of, uh, you know, head coaches on their press conference saying culture because it's so cliche. But his meaning of is is a little bit deeper, and it's like, hey, we're going to fight for each other. They do a lot of stuff outside. Uh, can you hear me still? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. One of my AirPods went out. Um, they do a lot of stuff, you know, outside of their practice facility where they lift in different places and go over to his house and whatever the case may be. And, you know, all those things are are super, super important. Um, and I think the biggest piece of a good locker room, uh, Brian Scott, is when adversity hits. You really can, you know, tell where a team's going to head when adversity hits. When you're playing an exhibition game and, you know, know you're going to win by 30 or 40, it's kind of hard to see a good or a bad locker room. But when adversity strikes and a team goes on a 12-0 run from you, that's when you can kind of see – you know, some bickering, um, people putting their heads down, um, and effort becomes an issue, especially on the defensive side of the court and basketball. And so it is super important. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of coaches try to challenge teams early 
uh, so that they can get that kind of stuff sorted out and addressed uh, for once prom time comes about. Which is a good a transition as any into what we originally planned to talk about until the news just destroyed this day in our podcast. Ole Miss goes through the non-conference season 13-0, and or whatever the hell their record is. I could have miscalculated that by game. The last time we did a podcast, it was after the Memphis game. And so we talked about the realistic possibility of them entering the SEC play with either one loss or undefeated. But like looking back for just a quick second, now that they've actually done that, given what you thought Beard was inheriting, no matter how cookie you thought he could work, how remarkable of a, an accomplishment of this on, is that on its own? I mean, very. I'm going to, I mean, I'll be honest. I was shocked when, even when I saw triple zeros on the board that they beat Memphis, right? And so I think a lot of that comes from they've got experience on the team. They stayed poised, always helps at home. Beard's a pretty good ball coach. And although the rebounding piece is an issue, they defend at a pretty high level. Um, so I think he's got some mature guys on his team. The The big transition, and it's a public thing, right? No, it's a very subjective thing, but Auburn – always kind of talked about how Flanagan was a bad locker room guy and they didn't have a huge issue when he left. And is he the most vocal person in the world on this team? No, but he's been very even killed for this team and is a hell of a ball player. Um, and, and, you know, really established himself can play multiple positions for this team as well. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's one of Beard's magic touches, but it's also Beard also delegates to his staff as well to make sure he's got got guys on his staff that are can experience that can help build that culture and keep a good clean locker room. You told me from the time they got this roster set of fans probably need to temper expectations. It doesn't sound like Cisse or Murray are going to get eligible. The tide shifted. You were not wrong in the moment for saying that by any means. I do not mean to set this up by any stretch. Cisse ends up having a little bit better case than maybe we thought originally. He gets eligible, and I was like, oh, well, Murray's not. Well, then, you know, some judge in West Virginia intervenes, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually, he can play. And your contingency on that part of it was, if these guys are both eligible, this is probably a tournament team. Do you believe that? And we've talked about the CSA part. What does Brandon Murray bring to this team? Excuse me. Uh, not, excuse me. Yeah, Brandon Murray bring to this team that changes your opinion of their ceiling. Yeah, so, I mean, look, you, you they're set up in a really good place. They're 13-0. and 0. The one thing that I think is super interesting about their resume is we've talked a lot during football season about game control, and their game control was super poor in November but it was super, you know, it was really good in December. How does the committee look at November game control when Murray and Cissé didn't play, even though they were wins? That's something that is very fascinating to me, and I may be kind of digging into it a little too deep, but, you know, Detroit Mercy is 0-15 or something right now, and you barely won that game. Well, what does that look like with – uh, Cissé and Murray, right? What would the Vegas line have been if, you know, a day before the game, Cissé and Murray have gotten eligible for that game? I'd probably be an eight-point-ish swing. That's that's kind of interesting to me to see. But for Cissé, hey, I think that he is going to – they tried to work him in, get him into better shape. I think that he is going to play more minutes in SEC play. Reason being um, – 
defensive rebounding, he's going to help with a lot versus Sharp. And then also, these SEC coaches are going to try to expose matchups um, from an offensive standpoint when they're playing against Ole Miss, who switches everything. And Sharp has a really hard time, you know, stepping out to the three-point line and guarding. Um, he kind of looks uncoordinated at some times. So I think that you'll see Cissé's uh, minutes increase. Um, and I think you'll see Breakfield's minutes at the five increase. And I would think that Sharp's minutes are going to decrease. Brandon Murray, what does he bring? SEC experience, P5 experience. Um, he's a combo guy that can run point to give uh, Juju Murray some time off and he, really good athlete. And then also he's a really good um, on ball defender, a physical on ball defender as well. So, you know, he's a guy that's, you know, he's another guy that can go when he's playing super well and get you 20 one night. Um, I think he averaged 10 to 12, you know, over his career as well, played in a lot of big time games, which I think is super important. And, a lot of these guys playing in big-time games, Morrell, Brakefield, SEC, Juju Murray, St. Peter's, so on and so forth, is going to be super important in SEC play, but I'm very interested to see how they respond to a big-time environment on Saturday in Thompson Bowling Arena. Juju Murray was a guy we sang his praises when we did the podcast after the Memphis game because of the way he played and really he played all that week. But it was kind of one of those things like, all right, this is is this sustainable – where I feel like when we talked about this team without Musa Cisse, really in this context, Brandon Murray and what their situation from a guard standpoint was, like they're going to go as Juju Murray goes and how sustainable is this? He's really not let his foot off the gas and has seemingly come into his own as a player. I, I, from this standpoint, now that you have Brandon Murray eligible, the other Murray, yeah, this actually feels like two strengths instead of like, can you survive with this guy? And it's been very wild to see that transition. No doubt. And look, I'll be honest. Um, the two pleasant surprises from this year are this team right now is a 40% three point shooting team. And I would have never seen that a lot too. what I'm about to transition to Jalen Murray being able to create never thought that, you know, through non-conference play, this guy would be giving you 15 a game. Uh, he's shown flashes at times in his career, um, but leveling up from, you know, to high major and increasing your points is a credit to him. And it's a credit to Dunwald and Beard, you know, on that staff. Um, so the, the big thing that I think they have to figure out, and it's a really good problem to have, is kind of what their rotations are going to be and how they get Brandon Murray more involved and more utilized. Um, I would love to see a lineup where you have both the Murrays, Morrell, Flanagan, and then either a break or a Cissé, if matchups allow for that as well, because that's how you get your best players on. So that is where, um, you know, that's what I'm really interested to see. You know, Flanagan's gotten to play for some this year, but having both the Murrays in at the same time, because Brandon Murray, you know, he can, he's physical enough to guard, you know, multiple positions as well. So that's what's that's what's really interesting. And then the big thing that they've got to get figured out is defensive rebounding, right? Um, this is too experienced of a team to not be rebounding at a high clip. I do think that CSA's minutes increasing is going to help um, with rebounding. But 
to an, an AK, you know, saying there's a lot of ball watching at times, right? They just kind of watch the ball. They block out and watch the ball, but they kind of expect somebody else to go get it. They've got to be more assertive and leave their block out to go get the ball offensively uh, or excuse me, defensively, and then reduce offensive rebounds as well. We you started kind of the conversation off with, hey, is this a tournament team or not? Um, I think a lot of how far this team can go is going to be dependent upon defensive rebounding this year. Um, it wouldn't shock me if their perimeter shooting goes down a little bit in SEC play. You're playing against longer, more athletic guys as well, so you may not have as many uncontested shots. But how far this team can go, I think, is very dependent upon you know defensive rebounding improving and improving quickly. Is some of that Cisse coming along? Because if you look at the way he's played since he was ruled eligible, they give him 15 minutes against Memphis. He plays nine the next game. He They, they let him a little bit loose against UCF, 24, 21 against Cal. But then he's been at two, 14, and 16 the last three games. I don't know what went into that Troy game. I tried to watch it while I was working. That didn't go terribly well. But he seemingly has not really come into his own in what he is as a rebounder. I think the misconception maybe some outside people had with him, it's like he's going to be this gigantic offensive threat. That's not really the case. But it seems like he's still trying to kind of settle into what he is in the role with this team, even though we know what it is eventually. But he still feels like he's trying to get his sea legs under him, for the lack of a better phrase. And that could kind of be the difference maker from a rebounding standpoint. No, 100%. He's averaging, you know, 15 minutes a game so far. And they just – I kind of think they just need to throw him in the fire. And, I mean, I think I would start him at, at Tennessee on Saturday um, and go see what he can do. I really think he needs to be playing closer to 20, 20 22 to 25 minutes um, a game. And you know that he is a little limited offensively, but not as limited as Sharp. You know, Cissé is stronger around the basket for – you know, lobs in the pick and roll game and then can get a lot of trash baskets as well. And in transition, you know, kind of rim runs, um, he's pretty decent at. So I, I do agree. I think the two pieces is one personnel increasing CSA's minutes. And then two is just and it's something that I imagine that Murphy Holloway is on them a lot. It's just like, hey, a lot of y'all are putting yourselves in decent position, blocking out. Go get the go get the damn ball now. Right, go be aggressive, go get the ball. Um, and so Saturday's a really, a really, really good test for this team. So they made it through the non-conference schedule undefeated. They're gonna have one hell of a test this Saturday, as you mentioned, at Tennessee. If you're beard and you're trying, I mean, I don't want to give the whole pregame speech thing, but what is the measuring stick in this? Because no one is going to like have any sort of qualms if they go lose this game. I'm not even sure it actually matters how they lose this game. They get two home games against Florida and Vanderbilt back-to-back for a road trip against LSU. So they have a little bit of a cushion to rebound. But, like, how do you view a game like this where you're not really supposed to be here, you're opening conference play? AK had that that one year, and I can't remember what it was. You remember when they went undefeated in non-conference play and they lose that game like Lofton and them at Tennessee? Yeah. Things went south after that. I'm not even suggesting that or comparing it. But a game right. like that to open SEC play, it's a tough one for Ole Miss. Like, how would you gauge this in terms of like a measuring stick game for Ole Miss, for the lack of a better phrase? I mean, it's it's huge. Um, you know, Tennessee's like fifth or sixth on Ken Palm right now. They've played in some, you know, big time games, big time environments this year. Um, and they've got guys on their team who have, 
you know, played in those games in previous years as well. So, I mean, this is, this is, you know, the ultimate test for Ole Miss. Um, Thompson bowling is a pretty big arena. Um, it, it gets loud in there. It's probably my favorite arena from, you know, just in total in the sec. Rick Barnes is a good coach. You've got a good coach. So, you know, I, this is this is going to be a real you know a real test for this team to see where they're at. Um, but I think, kind of bigger picture, when you look at it, it's like, hey, get through those first two weeks three and one. If you can find a way to get through those first, you know, two weeks three and one, you you don't need that loss to beat a Vanderbilt. Um, th- you know, things are going to be in a good spot. And when you go thirteen and zero and you have momentum, and um, you know, have gotten some good national publicity the last couple of weeks. I think the pavilion's going to be rocking the rest of the year. Oh, I can guarantee um, and, that and people are in on this. They are in on this, and so when you're selling out, you know, every SEC game, which I kind of think is going to be the case, and um, you know, students have been awesome. That's going to be a home court advantage for you. That's worth you know maybe two to three points a game that you've not had in in, a, in quite a while. We'll get back to Bracken in just one second, but before we do, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by our partner, AG1, the daily foundational nutritive supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every day. I'm not always great about putting what I need to in my body. AG1 makes for a quick and easy fix for that in the morning. Drink it with your coffee. It is absolutely a great way to start off your day, get your body all the nutrients it needs, and to help just feel better in general. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash mpw. That's drinkag1.com slash mpw. Check it out. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Bracken. You're absolutely dead on with that too. And we've talked about this as I texted you. I got season tickets um actually the first game i missed on season ticket wise we were at it i was at a buddy's wedding for the uh tad pad game which actually did not include that was not included in your season ticket package you had to buy it extra so if like from a perfect attendance record i actually have only missed the bryant game and that was new year's eve at 3 p.m and i have a valid excuse i was violently hung over so you know, I'm playing injured there. I haven't missed a game and I'm just some random guy. Like I love going to those games. It's a ton of fun, but I knew two, three people who went to that game at 3 PM again on new year's Eve, the Sunday after Ole Miss just won the peach bowl. And I got three or four texts from people that sent me pictures that was like, I can't believe there's this many people here. And I know Ole Miss battles the fact that they have this gigantically long Christmas break and they're going to play two home games, which is actually more favorable than schedules in years past without the students back there. 
But I don't really have a lot of pause with that. We talked about them being bought in. They're going to have a home court advantage. I, I think that proved itself Memphis weekend and in every sort of random non-conference game after the fact. I don't really have any sort of attendance qualms with this program and this team at this point. Do you? No, I don't. You know, what I will what I will say is if you want to keep Beard around a couple years, the two things you have to do is you have to be really competitive, probably top half in the SEC and NIL. And next year when non-conference play starts, and, you know, if you're a tournament team this year and, you know, go get a few uh, portal guys, they had um, some good high school guys, whatever, You like we need to be selling this thing out non-conference and conference play those are those are the two things if i'm inside of his head that i think are priority you've got a great arena uh, you've got a really good staff budget you're in the sec oxford's cool the campus is cool bunch of check marks bunch of check marks the last two check marks is you got to increase in aisle it's at a good spot it needs to get to an elite spot and there doesn't need to be an empty seat in the house, non-conference or conference play. Do I think that's going to be an issue at all in SEC play? I don't. And I think that, you know, there's a sh- chance for this group to go nine and nine or 10 and eight in conference play, which would set you up for a ton of momentum going into year two, which could kind of, you know, help it, it, it work itself out for attendance non-con, but that's kind of, those are the two big things that I think, Hey, what can I as a fan do going forward? Those are the two things that, um, I think are super crucial right now for this program. It's crazy. We're having this conversation as we started off this podcast, just celebrating the fact that we're doing a basketball podcast when the calendar (laughs) turned to the next year. But I mean, Ole Miss is ranked in the top 25 and it's funny having covered college football for such a long time. And given the playoff and all that, it's like, dude, I don't look at top 25 rankings at all. It makes zero sense to me. It means nothing. Basketball is a little bit different. To me, when Ole Miss got ranked in the top 25 before conference play started, I felt like that was something. And I, I, I don't know if it'll ever mean anything in the long term, but just from a program notoriety standpoint and where Beard is at that point, that felt significant. It's like, okay, the people that watch this stuff, or at least we think they do, value Ole Miss. Maybe it's just the 13-0 record, but their net is sitting at 60. I can't believe I'm asking you this question in January, but like, what do you think they need to do to get into the tournament at this point? Like, is this a 10 win operation? Do they need to get to eight yeah. or nine? What do you actually think so, is the pathway for this team to make the NCAA tournament? So there's a lot of talk out there that like, Hey, the sec is, is good. It's not great this year. I won't completely dif- disagree with that. The interesting part though, is the last time I checked, there's eight teams in the top 50 in the net. And that's, before you get a little bit of an increase from state with Tulu Smith. And as much as it pains me to say this, they're a real contender with him to, to be the best team in the SEC. They, like they've got a shot at that. Um, obviously there's two or three others that are, but with him they're they got a shot. So you got eight teams in the top 50 Ole Miss rebels are not one of them. Um, so that all, what I said, what I mean by that is as a conference in non-conference metrics look good. They may not, the conference may not, you know, look as good as they wanted to from a talent standpoint or whatever the case may be. But metric wise, the conference is in a really good spot coming into January. My thought is looking at it right now, the number is 10, including Nashville. 
Okay. 10, including Nashville. So um, that's where I'd feel good about it. Anything under that and it it gets shaky. So if you go, if you win 10, you've got 23 wins under your belt. And as long as you don't lose to Vandy, like, I'm not sure that, I mean, what's your bad, bad loss unless you, you know, lose at home to Vandy. That's the one you can't lose. So, because you've already, you survived everything in non-conference. There's no bad losses. Now, you got pretty damn close a few times. And like I said, this game Put control thing. The game control thing, I'm super, like if Ole Miss is on the bubble, the game control in November when you didn't have Murray and Cissé is interesting. Because it's, in my eyes, it's no different than them being injured. Like, what would have that team looked like? You know, let's say it's you know, two random people. And instead of eligibility, it's these two guys were injured. Well, the the committee would have to take that into place of this is a different team in March because of personnel than it was in November because of injuries. I mean, the waiver piece is the is the same thing in my opinion. So it that's the be. one. Yeah, that's the one kind of like in the weeds thing that if you're on the bubble, I wonder how the committee um, takes it. But no, you've. You've, you've survived. There's really, I mean, LSU's not great, but there's not a whole lot of bad loss opportunities, which shout out to, you know, Sankey and the SEC for what the league looks like right now. So if you go get 10 wins and assume that there, one of the losses is not to Vandy, you have 23 wins. You didn't lose a conference game, or excuse me, you didn't lose a non-conference game. You're 10 and 8, 10 and 9. You've got quad one wins both non-conference and conference play uh, you'd feel I, I think you'd feel pretty good about where you're at i'm glad you brought up the part about the top eight teams in the sec being still top 50 in the net it's interesting to me looking at this today because you're exactly right you got florida being the 18th at 48 old miss is at 60 they almost feel like the line of how strong this conference is the only other one i'll give consideration arkansas is sitting at 86 in the net i guess i'll just pitch it to you there now are they actually going to be that bad? Is this must team that had a ton of returning talent? Are they going to stay at 86 in the net? Or is this going to end up being a top 50 team that turns it on in conference play and wins a bunch of close games? So I'm going to bring this podcast back full circle. Love this. It's all going to come down to their locker room. That team Ooh. has a lot of transfers. There's kind of been some talk out there of, Hey, that's not a good locker room right now. They're super talented. They, sell out i mean Mus has a ton of good pub right now there's some stuff you know that people think chemistry is not great on that team so that that team's you know ceiling or floor is all chemistry and locker room um it, it related um and you know the funny part about that is to, to speak to how important it is if you don't get your shit straight and you're them you know you're an nit bubble team and if you do, you're a tournament team, and Muss is pretty good in the tournament. You know, he can go to the Sweet 16 depending on the matchups. Absolutely. Um, because he's a good coach. So chemistry could be the difference in NIT bubble and Sweet 16. One last old Miss question for you. The Flanagan thing is fascinating to me. Over the last several games, if, remember when w- w- they beat Temple and Flanagan was actually technically the SEC's leading scorer at that point? I get it. It's November stats. You shouldn't base anything off that. Not really. I would not call that like a calling card of what I thought was the things to come. But as Ole Miss has gotten healthier, 
and I say we talk about healthier, it's actually NCAA version healthier, right? You get the two guys back on the court. His points per game has gone down, right? Post-UCF game, he scored 12, 13, 10, and granted he had 20 against Bryant. And I'm not even necessarily calling for alarm in that sense. But what's interesting to me is that they've had more offensive options with Brandon Murray or whatever version of CSA you're getting, or Juju Murray coming into his own. Brandon, if you look at Alan Flanagan's stat line post-UCF game, his rebounds have spiked a bit. His assists have spiked a ton. And his defensive play, steals-wise, has spiked a ton. It seems like this guy is a little bit of a chameleon in the role that he plays. I never thought Ole Miss would be a tournament team if Allegant Flanagan was your leading scorer. And I'm not sure what he thought about him being a number one option or how that was actually going to go, but it seems like Morrell is kind of taking the driver's seat of that. But Flanagan's peripheral production beyond scoring ever since they've gotten to full strength has been fascinating to watch and it's still early on but i'm curious if you've noticed the same thing no it's a it's a great observation right and they've got to kind of figure out like i mean if you add brandon murray into the mix everybody's scoring may go down a hair right because there's only one ball to go around um but flanagan's just a utility guy i mean he he can kind of do it all and i think the most impressive part about him is his rebounding ability at his size um i mean it's it's pretty incredible to be honest so yeah the the fact that he can be a different guy any different night is huge for this team both from how he kind of plays but also what position he plays as well um, and he and he's pretty efficient right now. I mean, he's he's shooting forty percent from the three. Um, so, and he's averaging seven and a half rebounds a game. Like I said, at his size, that's pretty remarkable. So, um, yeah, I mean that that's another thing. Just going forward for this team in SEC play, if you've noticed, Beard's team so far have won in different ways. Um, I think in football, Lane's teams one in different ways this year. And that's the, that's 100%. the mark of a, that's the mark of a, of a good team. Um, Ole Miss basketball has not been, you know, challenged as much, but Flanagan is like, he's kind of the poster child of that in a sense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the good example football wise is what has now become a half-assed Ray Rippy family tradition. We're watching the egg bowl together. It's <laughs> like, it's Ole Miss actually only 10 points better than Staters. This is going to be some mind numbing game. We have to watch. So they can get the hell out of there. You're exactly right. Like these teams take on different personalities and like a sign of a well-coached team is, you know, what can you do to get through the game and get to the next week? That's really all I have from an Ole Miss standpoint. As we wrap up here though, the net part of this was fascinating to me because you mentioned there. So many teams in the top eight. There aren't really any bad losses other than Vanderbilt. Could you guess? I, you probably know, but could you guess what Vanderbilt's net is right now? Like 234? It's 268. 268? What's up with that? Oh they gosh. were the darling. They were the team that made the run of the NIT, and they had a lot of things coming, like a lot of things going well for them. Is that just like smoke and mirrors and stack is done? Like what, what happened to them? I, I I don't think he's a good coach. I mean, just point blank. My my hot take, scorching hot take, after an O and eighteen conference play, I still think they should have kept Bryce Drew. I actually kind of like that because he actually was a good coach, and I'm not sure how much in that control he was in that sense. Because remember, that was a weird time in the Vanderbilt athletic department. It's like, what did these guys actually have to work with? And you never thought about that with Vandy basketball, but you remember that whole AD they had. It was like, what are we actually doing here? That's a tough deal for a guy, Bryce Drew. South Carolina, one of the worst teams in the conference last year, 
47th in the net. I think they were actually 44th the week before. Lamont Paris. I I thought he had a real uphill battle. What's he been doing to change this? I can't pretend I watched a ton of South Carolina. I watched almost almost all of that game they played against Clemson. And I thought to myself, these guys are okay. They're fine. What has he done to transform that roster and turn them into a competitive team? Yeah, I really have only seen them for like a half against Clemson as well. Um, I, I do wonder, I kind of want to see a little bit more of it. Um, you know, once SEC play comes around, I, I want to see them get challenged a little bit more. But, you know, he was a young up-and-comer. I thought he was, it's crazy to say this, but with how quick coaching cycles are now, I mean, I kind of thought he was dead man walking coming into this year. Um, and Frank, you know, Frank kind of Frank getting pushed out of South Carolina was not a fan thing. That was an administration thing. I mean, I think he had, he still had some goodwill with the fans. So, you know, we'll see on Lamont, but I want to see them, you know, we'll probably know in the first couple of weeks SEC play once they get challenged a little bit more, if they're the real deal. Who's the best team in the conference? I mean, look, it's, it may be, it may be Tennessee, um, which is, which is why this is going to be such an interesting game on Saturday and see how this group responds because basketball is a game of runs. They're going to go down 6-8-0 at some point, but you've got a lot of veteran guys. What is it going to look like for Ole Miss? Um, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky's pretty damn good as well. And like I said, I'm State's going to be pretty good with Tulu Smith back in the fold. Um, it'll be interesting to see how how long, just like with Cisse and Brandon Murray, it takes for him to kind of gel uh, with their team and get into game shape. Um, but I think that they're I think they're kind of a sleeper for the SEC. Who's the best team in the country? Ooh, who do you think on that one? I would have a hard time going against Houston at this point, but again. December, early January subjective. Yeah. And I don't know. It feels like, um, you know, it feels like with Edie, them getting it done, you know, in the tournament, winning six games in a row with that group for whatever reason, like it's always, it's always hard for that group, but Purdue's pretty good. And, you know, Ole Miss and Houston played in a secret scrimmage uh, before the, Season started this year. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that one. Me too. And like the the ED thing is fascinating because I actually thought when they played, what was that two, three weeks ago? I actually thought Arizona would kind of run them out of the gym and that just did not happen at all, which had to make me reevaluate that a little bit. Yeah, he's a guy that um NIL is really good for because I just, you know, I don't think he's a he's a pro. I think he's an overseas pro and will go make, you know, good money over there. But um he's a guy that's getting to Getting the cash in a little bit. Um, that's just a damn good college player. All right, last thing for you. College basketball team that maybe is off the radar that's a ton of fun to watch. Can you give us one? That is off the radar. Um, and I say off the radar, well, oh, not oh, top, oh, oh, 10, my, not my, 25 well, team. All right, well, I'm going to go with the top 25 team, but the reason why is because nobody ever watches them. Clemson is super fun to watch. Okay. And I think I have a little bit of, um, I don't know, I, I feel for them a little bit because Brad Brownell, their coach, is is Clemson's AK. And what I mean by that is he's very polarizing. People either love him or hate him. There's no middle ground as current coach. I think as time has gone on with AK, it's a little different now. But also, he's like a th- 
they have their three and 16 argument where there was the two and 11 argument for AK, right? He's been like to the tournament like three times in 16 years or something like that. And yeah, he goes Clemson's in his not... first year, if I'm not mistaken, in like 2010, then they go like seven years, then he makes a sweet 16 and it hasn't been great after that. Right, right. So, um, and I think people call him like, they call him the uh, the BYU Tigers this year because they have so many white dudes that play for him. Um, which is which is pretty funny, but they are <laughs> they are Tigers. a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, they're a lot of fun to watch. And what I'm very interested to see is, um, and what they look like in ACC play against like Duke and Carolina. They lost last night at Miami. Miami shot like 75 percent from the floor or something just outrageous like that. But that's the team that um, it, you know is not your historical. NCAA tournament team that if you want a team to kind of follow and watch that will be up and down, but is good. That's the one that I would recommend. You know, I ran out of questions, but I'm just burning the hourly rate with you. You mentioned Miami. I watched the second half of that game last night. How does a dude as old as Jim Laranega get dudes? How does that work? Well, and here's the other thing. Jim Laranega was an old motherfucker when he went to the, the <laughs> final four with George Mason. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like, you know, if you ever see on the Facebook, that teacher that was like your third grade teacher and they're still teaching, but they were old as shit back when you were third grade. But like recruiting wise, how does that work? Like, how does well, a dude like that get dudes? I get he probably has awesome assistants, but seriously, like, how does that work? I mean, awesome assistants and he, he's a hell of a coach and has a pretty good resume and you just sell the shit out of it. You know, I, I've never met him, so who knows? I mean, he could for, <laughs> never judge a book by his cover. He could relate with players better than anybody. You know, I mean, I would put money against maybe not, but guys like that that are really good coaches, they just go super aggressive on selling their resume and what they've done with other teams and other players, um, you know, maybe more so than relationships. And then they have three really good guys on staff that, can create relationships with players, you know, that are very relatable, so on and so forth. And in fairness, with the last couple of NCAA tournament runs, they made they, the players seem to love him once they get there. I was just curious, like how a dude like that actually gets dudes to campus. And you mentioned the assistant side of it. That ESPN had an incredible clip a couple of years ago. Miami, I can't remember if this was 2018 or 19. Miami's like playing at Duke. And they're up, and then Duke made a run, and they had him in on, like, the sideline thing during a timeout. And he's like, now you got this place all jacked up. And he goes, the only solution is to stop playing as shitty. And I was like, all right, <laughs> this guy is just really blunt with his players. Last random college basketball question I'll ask you. My late great-grandfather was a big Louisville fan, Louisville alum. What the hell has happened to that program? You know, what's so weird about it is – if you hear Kenny Payne talk in press conferences, he's extremely soft and he says some real stupid shit. Like oh, somebody the asked time, him, man, like the somebody whole, like, asked what, but him, the guy like, didn't have the right shorts. What was that a couple of weeks ago? Do you know what I'm well, talking about? Well, look, look, I've, I've worked for, you know, I've worked, I've, I've seen some shit before <laughs> that just didn't get out to the public on that. I'll, I'll plead the fifth on that one. He, he should have been smarter not to say that. But um, I'll just put it mildly. We've all been there before on that one. The one that got me, though, is, all right, Louisville, Kentucky basketball is probably as hateful as the Egg Bowl. 
right? Oh, yeah. He used, to, he used to work for Cal, and in the press conference, somebody asked him, like, something along the lines of, like, hey, what would the perfect score be tonight? And he said, well, Cal would probably want to beat me by 30, but I, I would love to just win by one. Oh. And I'm like, what? So what the, the very interesting piece about Kenny Payne to me, first off, I mean, he may not be coaching there in the next week or two. They're going to have to pull the plug at some point. But the interesting piece to me is he has been super soft as a coach, um, both in-game and press conferences and stuff. But a decade ago, he was the most cut, cutthroat motherfucker on the recruiting trail there was. I mean, if he was what recruiting flips? one of your guys that, that you were going after, you were you were like, it's over. Kenny Payne's Kenny Payne's in on him. He was as cutthroat as they as they got. So that that's the part that shocked me as his transition from an assistant to a head coach is just his 180 from a personality. There's probably a life lesson in there, right? Like you wanted to work in this industry for a while. You did work in the industry. You met a lot of guys. There's a difference between a head coach and assistant. Like Zach Arnett was one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. And then he becomes someone he's not as a head coach. And it's like, this doesn't work. Like it's, I feel like, again, I'm not going to try to psychodiagnose Kenny Payne here on the podcast, but I feel like you have to stay true to yourself. And if you ever deviate from that, you're just screwed in this business. You have to stay true to yourself, but you have to make the transition from an assistant coach to a CEO. Like Beard? Like Beard. Yeah, I want. I, I don't know that we've talked since the Cal game, but it was really cool for me because it was, um, I don't know, one of the, I've only been to maybe one game or two a year, but I sat right behind Beard. I mean, like I could have reached out and touched him in the Spurs arena at the game, which is essentially where I sat behind AK during games and did scouting stuff and analytics, et cetera. First off, he stood up three times the whole game. And second off, he let his assistant coach. He had, you know, one guy at the end of the bench who was on scout and Bob Dunwald, who's slick back hair guy that kind of always has his arm around beard. He let him run, he let him run the plays. And so the best CEOs, know how to delegate and he is he is a ceo and that's why this program's having success right now it's going to be a terrific basketball season i cannot wait i'm glad we actually get to see this pod out through a full basketball season as opposed to just me texting you on december 31st like hey man we'll talk when they have a coaching change i appreciate the time i do this is a ton of fun and we'll talk to you here real soon all right. Have a good one. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. Hope you enjoyed that. We'll be back with some more football and basketball content next week. Have a safe and happy weekend, and we'll talk to you early next week.